Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast. Tonight, we're joined by Right Worship Brother Moises Gomez, the Grand Historian of the Grand Lodge of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our opinions and thoughts are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions, either here on YouTube or on our Facebook page. We'd also appreciate a thumbs up and especially any comments on our videos. Thank you for having me here as I represent New Jersey. Uh, it's really, really an honor and pleasure to be at the Working Tools at uh, your request. Uh, I don't get to do too many podcasts, uh, but I'm really looking forward to this and having a casual conversation with you three, and hopefully many others can join in later and see the recorded version. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, as I know you a little bit, why don't we get started and introduce you a little bit to Connor. I'm, we're going to join tonight. Uh, again, my name is David Colbeth. I'm a Mason of Washington, jurisdiction of Washington. Uh, we're, we're missing our intro man tonight. Uh, he's having a family emergency, worship brother Matt Apple. But I've got uh, brother Steve Chung tonight and brother Connor Massey, both from British Columbia and Yukon. I'm almost a worshipful. I almost. About a year and a half. Give a year and a half. It, as long as everything stays the same, right? As long as we keep moving forward. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was one thing we just talked about this, uh, this last week at our lodge was the idea of possibly just putting pause, playing push and pause and and letting everybody stay where they're at for another year. Because you know, a, guy, a guy's been planning it for five years, and now he can't fulfill his, his things he wants to do as master. It's kind of, kind of a bummer. Yeah, we just yeah. agreed to do the same thing in our lodge. We're just putting the pause button on because um, I think our worshipful master got installed, and a month later we had COVID. So yeah. he, he had right, yeah. one meeting, right? And, exactly. you know, it, it would just be robbing him of that whole experience to not allow him to sit there for a year in an active lodge. Yeah. We definitely discussed right. that for my two lodges, um, but we both decided ultimately that it would be better to progress. Um, also, because that's kind of what the Grand Lodge of BC seems to want everyone to do with them swapping over the Grand Master uh, a week or, or a month or so ago. Huh. But, uh, yeah, here in New Jersey too, we're, we're, our Grand Lodge was extended till November. We normally have our meeting in April, which is right in the heart of the, of the area, especially here in New York City area, was quite, quite worse probably around the world, but uh, we've extended it to November, so if everything goes right, uh, we're planning to have our annual communication in November, and everybody will transfer over, we'll get a new Grand Master, but uh, again, if things get worse, if the second wave gets worse, uh, if things may be thrown for a loop, so, but many organizations have just decided to extend it one year, I know New York did, our Eastern Star here did, uh, out, of, out of respect to the the elders who the majority make up uh, a lot of our pendant bodies uh, and to watch for their health. So a lot of organizations have decided just go one year uh, and this way it'll give the current presiding officer time to, to have their year. If, if, if anything, and then the new one can start fresh in a new year without having to have half a year in, in the middle of, of this pandemic, just get in and do nothing with it anyway. So 
Moises, your background, um, you know, were you, did you, were you one of these guys who went through DMLA, found masonry after that, or, or did you jump uh, into masonry straight in and go hard? Unfortunately, believe it or not, I, I came into masonry in 2008. I applied uh, in 2007. Uh, I had no family relations with any masons in my family. I'm the first in my generation or in my family that I know of. My father, my grandfather, none of them were masons. Uh, but I actually, uh, I actually started getting involved uh, because I, I've always been a historian by, by love. I just love history. I love reading uh, history. And I realized that by watching a lot of these, you know, National Treasures and all these kind of movies coming out, it, it, inspired, it piqued my curiosity a little bit. Not that I was a, a you know, a freak about it, but I started researching and I said, it's amazing how many of these famous people, and I'm not talking about John Wayne and, you know, all these poster child Mason, but, you know, really like, you know, especially revolutionists like Benito Juarez and Garibaldi, guys who were just average men who, who took it upon themselves to take a big gamble. Uh, and, and when I realized that they all had something in common besides being a revolutionist and, and taking power away from ter terrorists or, or, or dictators and giving it back to the people. But, and that inspired me. And then, of course, dealing in, in my own New Jersey history here and, and, and the history of the United States and realizing that you know, something, had, something was there. It had to be something more uh, than just a conspiracy theory or, uh, you know, just propaganda. It had to be really something that these men aspired to, that brought them together, that gave them that mindset to do something for the benefit of others. And, and I just started diving into it. I didn't dive into what a Freemason actually went through or does. I started dwelling into the history of these men who accomplished such great feats. Uh, and that's what got me started. But actually, I had no inkling of what I was going through. Every degree was completely fresh. Uh, it was a surprise. I, I didn't read any books. I didn't know any passwords. I didn't know any handshakes. It was totally, totally uh, incredible to go through. And I really am glad that I chose to do that. So was there, was there a particular moment or catalyst? I, I would totally admit that I'm a national treasure baby. Uh, I, my, now, granted, I do have, my wife's uncle had talked to me about Shrine, and I didn't know it was masonry. I didn't know what it was necessarily for a long time, years and years. They're in Missouri, so when we go back and visit him, he would always just talk about it and what he's doing, and that's just, it was just part of his life. He's been a Shriner, had been a Shriner for 50 years, and so, but I didn't know that's what he was really talking about. But then when I saw the movie, it clicked. And so I finally said, okay, Uncle Jesse, what's this about? And he goes, you finally asked me. <laughs> and so so is there, was there a moment that clicked for you? Was it, was it National Treasure or something like that? Or was, how did you No, that? actually, it was just reading. I mean, I, I guess the one point was the one that I was at work. Uh, you know, I have access to a computer at work. And uh, in the emergency garage, if nothing happens, then we're, we're sitting back in the garage waiting for that emergency to happen. So, and one day I just started Googling away and typing away. And I just got obsessed. Uh, with with all this richness that I was finding, uh, but it wasn't no one particular movie or one particular incident. It was just a culmination of of researching, uh, and also the fact that I had gone to D.C. and visited. You know, I'm a, I'm a museum buff. I visit all types of museums, and I had visited the George Washington Masonic Memorial, having not even realizing that that was a Masonic uh, temple that it was owned by all the brethren, that it was created as a national uh, endeavor to honor Washington by all the Masons. Uh, and that really just set me off. And I mean, it was, I would be glued onto the computer for hours at a time, Google and stuff. And I just, you know, the founding fathers, how many signed the declaration, how many signed the, you know, 
uh, the Constitution, the fact that our grandmaster, first grandmaster here, was kind of the the father of the Constitution, David Brealey. Uh, he's one of the oldest one uh, members of that uh, of that committee. Uh, he was the first to sign it. Uh, and I was like, well, there's got to be something special here. I mean, and then he goes on to become the first chief justice, and he's the first grandmaster. And I'm like, there's got to be something more here. There's got to be something special here that I'm missing out on. And uh, and then actually realizing that masonry was huge in Cuba, uh, in even during the dark periods uh, of, of 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 the Castro regime, how it kind of was there, but it wasn't there. But if I don't know about it, I am not going to persecute you guys. You know. If you're doing it on the ground, as long as I don't know about it, keep doing what you're doing. Considering that he kind of abolished all religion, uh, you know, all the other, you know, knights of know color, all these other it was, it was quite amazing to, to hear that that was the one group he let survive. Um, I was totally like, really? It was no other groups survived that? Nope, he squashed everything. And <laughs> I mean, and, and I'm, I'm Cuban uh, by my parents. I was born here, but my parents were born in Cuba. They immigrated <clears throat> before Castro, so they weren't involved in, in having to leave in exile. So they came early in the 50s. Uh, but the fact that when I researched Cuba and I realized some of the stories, uh, and, and it was funny because there was, there was some of my family members that uh, had Masons on their other side of the families, uh, and they would always talk a little bit about it and how... You know, the story is that when his first revolution that he tried in 53 didn't work out and he ran into the Sierra Madres in, in, in the mountains, that he hid and Masons uh, took care of him. They, they, they cared for him. They, they, they gave him help, you know, harborage. They gave him shelter. Uh, and his family were, were Masons. I mean, he was a wealthy man. Of, yeah, his family was comes from a wealthy family in Cuba. Uh, and I guess that connection he had and the fact that they were willing to not protect him, but give him safe haven and, and, and do the Masonic brotherly thing. I guess he must have been a son of a Mason. Uh, and then that's why they say that although he would not publicly accept them or admit them, uh, as the unwritten rule was always that if it was going on without his knowing, so be it. I ain't going to worry about it. So, so, have, so have you gone over to Cuba and, and uh, done some visiting and experienced uh, Masonry in Cuba? I did go to Cuba for the first time, uh, unfortunately, uh, four months after my mother passed away, so both my parents are deceased now, but uh, I did go in May of last year for the first time. Uh, it was a cruise, and then we spent a few days at docked in Havana for a couple of days, uh, and I was able, of course, seeing all the other iconic places, the, you know, the, the place where Hemingway lived and where he, uh, you know, where the daiquiri was created and all that, uh, riding the old cars, but I did, I do have uh, plenty of Masonic friends in Cuba, uh, including the Grand Master who stepped down previously and the current one now. And, and there was a brother who I've known for quite some time now, Victor, and he actually came to Rochester, New York to witness uh, me re receiving my 33rd degree in the Scottish Rite. So uh, it, it was very, you know. Isn't Victor the caretaker of the Grand Lodge of Cuba? Yes, he's the, of the museum and library of the Grand Lodge of Cuba. Yeah. High up the, in the knowledge church. in that man's head is incredible. I, 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 we were, I, I went there and we, just the stories, I, I forget about the stuff that we could see and uh, <laughs> the stories that came out of Victor were incredible. Yeah. Uh, very, oh, very man. influential man, very, very compassionate, uh, very eager, willing to help. Uh, and it, we had a party of about 10 
and they took us everywhere. They, we went to the Grand Lodge building. We had, uh, you know, I didn't want to make it a Masonic trip because I did have other members, family members, so I didn't want to make this a whole Masonic trip as I normally do in other instances, but they, they, they did everything for us. They took us everywhere. Uh, they had a small mini bus for us. Uh, they accommodated us. Uh, they said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of all your needs. Don't book any trips. Just let us do everything. And of course, he gave us a tour of the Grand Lodge building. We saw the lodges. We saw his museums that he has there, very historic. And it's poignant to point out that when you walk through the front door of the museum, on either side are pedestals with a bus of famous Masons. Mm-hmm. Maybe 70% are all Americans. So you have you know, Washington, you have all these famous Masons going down the line on yeah. either side. And it's amazing that a country who at one point was at odds with us uh, still admire and, 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 and relish American Freemasonry. I mean, they, they really take that to heart. Uh, and the first president, Jose Marti, the martyr of, of Cuba, lived in New York City for 14 years. And it was here that he based his operations for the War of Independence in 1895, the, you know, the war against Spain that freed Cuba and Puerto Rico and the Philippines into our custody. But uh, he was, you know, he, he taught here in New York City and Columbia, Columbia University. Uh, he, he studied here. He, was, he lived here. Uh, the first president was a school teacher in, in upstate New York. So that, it just, I just blew my mind. I said, wait a minute, this, this is amazing that this, this is all happening right here under my nose. And, and I never knew about it. That my parents never knew about it. I mean, it was, it was just amazing that I was able to make those connections and, and realize that the father of our nation, who's considered the Washington of Cuba, Jose Marti, was a very influential, inspirational man. He died for the cause of that battle, and, uh, but lived here in New York City and, and, and raised the money. He sought Masonic affiliations. He sought Masonic guidance and counsel by Masonic members here who helped him uh, raise arms and raise money and, 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 and have ships to be able to transport it down. Uh, and many Masons from here went in support of that battle as well. So it's, you know... It's just astonishing to see all that. And that's what really just blew me over the top when I started really digging deep. And I was like, God, it's got to be, I'm missing out on something. I must be doing something wrong. It's amazing. The history there is so rich. But I think Connor had a good had a question for you. So with, with you being the grand historian um, and you your, your obvious fascination with the history uh, involved with Freemasonry, have you joined any of the uh, education and research lodges like Couture Coronati or um, the Dormer Society, or I'm a member, we're not a, not a member member, but I'm, I receive all of the papers from uh, a lodge in Virginia, 1777, I think, that, uh, that I get every week. And I was wondering if, if you were a member of any I'm a member of so many of them. Uh, I mean, as far as Georgia, South Carolina, Ohio, Iowa, some of them, they made me honorary members of it. Uh, it, I may, if it is right now, I'm I'm in line to speak for the Quarter Corridor Lodge. Uh, Hopefully, Uh, the uh, incoming master is a a good friend of mine and a past Bristolian lecturer, Michael Kiesley. The uh, Uh, incoming junior warden. I think Junior Warden is a is a very good friend of Steve and I's too. So we're okay. Well, he he's he's trying to slate me to speak for there, and I'm preparing a paper now that I if, if everything goes well, uh, I will present there. Hopefully, it will be published in the Court of Coronary. Everything's been thrown for a loop because uh, we were planning to do it in February, got pushed to June meeting. They only meet four times a year, and now because of the pandemic, uh, we we've kind of set the date of September 9th of next year. He goes into office on in November, and but again. We don't know what's going on with, with this situation yet. I know the UK is pretty much still suspended all meetings in Scotland and England. 
they haven't opened up yet. So I don't know if they're going to extend it a year, but the plan is eventually, hopefully, if they accept it, to have me speak there, present my paper there next year, and that's a, a real honor for you. But I would imagine after he knows, the show, I would imagine he knows Trevor. Do you uh, know Trevor, Trevor. Trevor McGowan? Yeah. No, I have. I've never met him in person, but I know okay. of him. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, after it, After the show, we should uh, swap notes because if there's more uh, education research lodges down in America, I'd be happy to either join if if I have to pay dues or get my name put on the email list because I. I study history uh, at university, and it is it is my passion is is Masonic education and research. I, I love it too. I mean, I really enjoy the. Uh, I really know how far I've gone. When in December I start breaking out the checkbook and paying dues, and I realize this is way <laughs> too much. I belong to well over forty uh, organizations. Uh, wow, that, that I literally pay into. Not to mention probably the twenty or so honorary positions I have all around the world and here in the United States. So, uh, you know, honorary is great because <clears throat> you don't have to pay. But uh, when you start adding up the dues, it's it's a pretty – and I'm not one for joining a lot of lodges. I've, I've always – I belong to one lodge in New Jersey. I believe in, in, in focusing on my mother lodge. Uh, I know some brother would like five, six, seven lodges. And I know in, in, in the U.K. it's big to belong to multiple lodges. But, again, some of these countries and other states don't have as many appended bodies. So – you can focus a little bit more on the craft, uh, but when you belong to you know everything under under the sun, it, it's tough to uh, to, to find that balance. Eat. Yeah, no. Yeah. So I try to not interfere with my lodge. My mother lodge always comes first. Uh, Atlas Pythagoras Lodge, number ten, by the way, in Westfield, New Jersey. That's my mother lodge. I was uh, initiated, passed, and raised there. Um, I was briefly a member of Inspiratus Lodge, which was New Jersey's first traditional observant lodge, which is still legally on today uh, going on but we're about to close it because it's just not working out uh here but i really had uh, doubts about even joining that i actually they actually forced me on the last possible day they kind of convinced me to join the uh, to help out but uh, I, i've always felt you know i should just belong to one lodge now if a lodge wants to make me honor remember you know what that's up to you and that's that's your decision that's fine but uh, i try not to belong to too many lodges mm -hmm. and too many institutions whatever i do I try to give it my 100%. Uh, I'm currently the presiding officer of the Red Cross of Constantine, my conclave here in New Jersey. I had to do it a second year uh, because the incoming presiding officer's wife was uh, very, very ill, and he had to step back, and instead of letting him lose his position, it's a 10-year line. It's a long, a long line. Uh, I said, well, listen, why do I stay on another year? If, you, if, you, if she gets better, you can come back. I'll switch. You can take over, and it's your year. Uh, so we're kind of keeping it on free. So I decided to do another year, but I've presided over nine Masonic bodies in my lifetime. And there's a few more. And <laughs> so, so that, that kind of brings us back to who Mo is. So um, that was 2008. So in, in 12 years, you're now the grand historian for your grand lodge in your area. So that's gotta be quite the journey. Um, you want to give us the Coles notes version of your journey over the past 12 years? Actually, I was lucky enough <clears throat> to join what I believe is a wonderful, wonderful lodge. I think uh, that the, the mentors in our lodge, <clears throat> in particular, uh, one right worshipful Thurman C. Pace Jr., who has an incredible history of his own in, in, in outside masonry. Uh, and, and the fact that he's presided probably twice as many more bodies as I've ever done. Uh, he's been the head of, he's been a presiding officer of over 30 Masonic bodies around the world. Uh, so he's a very well-known man throughout the entire globe. Uh, 
Uh, there's councils and chapters named after him. He's not even dead yet. And they're still named all over the world in Portugal and Romania. And, uh, and he was from our mother lodge in, in, in Atlas Pythagoras. And uh, he, from the moment I was initiated, uh, we pause a refreshment to shake the candidate, the new uh, initiate's hand and an apprentice. We shake his hand, we give him a hug. And from that moment, we hit it off. And he's been able to open up more doors for me than anything else. But with the, with, the, with the notion that you have to work for it. So it's not just opening doors and letting, sliding people in. He saw something in me. He saw I was aggressive. He saw I was, it was really 100% into it. Uh, and I let my actions speak for myself. And I, 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 left, I, I got on the board running. I mean, I hit the floor running from day one. Uh, right after I was raised, I was thrown into the junior deacon's chair uh, because the individual couldn't make it. And... He wound up moving to Connecticut. His job moved him to Connecticut, and I just continued in a spot. And uh, four years later, I became master of my lodge, and we had a very successful lodge. Uh, you know, a year it was incredible for the work that everybody did. And in 2015, I became Grand Historian, and I, with the exception of the one year, I've been there. This, if everything goes right, I'll be there five years, and then I'll, that's it. I'm not doing no more. <laughs> uh, well, I'm running for the South, so hopefully, God willing, someday, if the brethren do choose, I will be Grand Master in 2025 if everything goes right and if, if I'm elected but uh, I chose that after the I committed to two more grand historians I won't do it anymore I think it's time for the door to be open to others I don't believe in in, in locking down something just keeping it forever I, I think uh, as it's done wonders for me it, it, I wanted to do wonders for others and I want to open the doors for others and be that that voice and that spark igniter for somebody else and let them take the run and lead and, and not that I don't want to do it I do enjoy doing what I do, uh, but I think that everybody, there's a lot of potential out there. And as I was tapped, I want to be able to tap somebody else and let them run with it. And I'll be there every step of the way. Uh, I, I, but that's pretty much my career there in, in AP. And because of that, I was exposed to many organizations around. I mean, there's, we have about 12 bodies that meet at our temple. Uh, and then because I was associated with some of these individuals from my lodge who were members of many Masonic bodies around the world, including Allied Masonic Degree Week in Virginia, which meets every year. Uh, and that's where all the smaller groups meet. Knight Mason, AMD, uh, the Rosicrucians used to meet there, Grand College Rites, and so on. Uh, the smaller bodies meet there for a, a week-long gathering. And now I'm the chairman of that uh, organization every week. I've been this, my next, next year will be my seventh year that I've been chairing it. Uh, and that has probably opened up more doors for me than anything else because of the people you meet uh, the, from come from all over the world from different organizations. Uh, that's just amazing to see that the brotherhood really is, is not just us living in a bubble, but, uh, and my mentor said something to me once. He said, Mo, don't get caught up in, in don't get caught up in that vacuum. Don't think that the lodge in the district or even your grand lodge is it. Freemasonry. Trust me when I tell you, I've had the pleasure and the, and the, and, and the wonderful, uh, opportunity to travel the world on many different uh, assignments on many different levels. And I tell you the best advice I can give you is travel, meet brethren. Don't think that the whole world is just here in your little home space. Some people feel secure in that place, uh, you know, because here I may be somebody a grand historian. If I go to Chile, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm just another brother. And some people to that, it, it affects them. But, I've never taken any advice other 
as great as that advice. I've traveled the world. I've, I've been to many countries. I've spoken in many countries, uh, 29 states here in the, in the United States, and I love every bit of it. And if I do nothing else in my life uh, in masonry, if I can continue traveling and speaking and meeting the brethren and meeting how they do things and how different jurisdictions, you know, we all don't come in the same way and matter, uh, which is a misconception that we all do it the same way, which we don't. I mean, when you travel around the world and you see other jurisdictions, you know, do all kind of incredible things in their lodge to open the lodge to close it, and you say, wait a minute, how can that be done? One of the really cool things about British Columbia and Yukon is that we've got four official ritual types, emulation, which is from England, ancient, which is kind of Scottish American, uh, Canadian, which is from Ontario, and Australian from the United Grand Lodge of Queensland, or Victoria, one of the two. And um, But the really cool thing is that I'm a member of two lodges. One of them, my mother lodge is emulation, and my other lodge is ancient. And I, I'm proficient in both of those ritual types, but I can go to a lodge that practices ancient, or I can go to another lodge that practices emulation, and it's different. There's four official uh, rituals in BC and 170-something ways of doing it. <laughs> so that's amazing but you know well, and, then the, and then there's connor's way <laughs> what's connor's way the right way exactly the right way of doing things <laughs> well my well the, the ancient lodge that i'm a member of is asher lodge number three and asher lodge is actually <clears throat> mother ancient lodge for the grand jurisdiction and our our ritual at least according to the the historian of my lodge and our regalia. We wear, we're the only lodge in BC that wears different regalia. All comes from Canongate Kilwinning Lodge number three in Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been to that lodge and that building. It's fantastic. I mean, Scotland's a, a real love of mine. I've been there many times. I've spoken there many times. And I tell you, when you talk about being different within your own jurisdiction, I don't know how Scotland does it. Because, you, know, you can go to two different lodges in the same district. And you feel like your world's apart. And, and it's, it's amazing to see the beauties of, of how different the rituals are. I mean, they have their prescribed ritual, that if, if that's what you want to do. Uh, but every lodge has its own regalia. Every lodge has its own jewels. Every lodge can do their own ritual. Uh, but it's very rarely that I've gone to a lodge in Scotland that I've seen the same ritual in, in two, different, uh, two lodges at the same time. It, it just doesn't it, – it, but it's the beauty. You know what? I believe that. We don't all come in the same way and matter. And that's what makes Freemasonry so unique and distinctive. It gives every lodge, every jurisdiction a little flavor, something different. Uh, and that's what makes us grow. You know, we're, we, the, the beauty of Freemasonry is that we're diverse, that we're tolerant. Uh, and that's the beauty of it. And I think if we all do it the same and come from that same mold, I think it can get bored and tiresome. But the fact that all around the world, we can all give that little input, that little twist, that little flavor, even so subtle, makes it also special because I believe there's a lot of wonderful ways of doing things. And I think Masonry inculcates that incorporates that all. Uh, and, and still, no matter where you go, you know, you're a Freemason when you're into, even if you can't understand the language, you know, you're in a room with brothers and that's the beauty of it. Well, I, yeah. you, you and I will get along really well. I study Scottish history at school and professionally I'm a kilt maker. So when, when you're grandmaster, if you want, if you want a kilt to run around in, you just let me know. <laughs> I will uh, definitely do that. And uh, if, uh, you said that you're hoping to be Grandmaster in 2025? Well, in, in New Jersey, uh, there's the top four positions, the Junior Grand Warden, Senior, Deputy, and Grandmaster. In New Jersey, you run for the South. Yeah, same as here at BC. And then you progress automatically up to the Grandmaster. You just got to get one vote. You vote for yourself and, and you progress forward. Uh, and again, 
uh, I've thrown my hat in for 2022. Uh, I, oh. I, I plan to run in 2022. If everything goes right, uh, the elections have been moved down a little bit, but in November of 2022, if everything, if, if the brethren so choose and I'm elected, then they will elect me junior grand warden. And then in 2025, I would be elected grand master. I believe it's 2025. It's either Ireland or Scotland, but it's one of the two's 300th anniversary. Ireland, and believe me, that's been on my mind the whole time. And this pandemic just blew it all out of the water because I was hoping uh, that if everything goes right, I would be grand master in April uh, to attend their 300th. They were 1725. Well, I, I will be going to Ireland for that. So if you want to travel with me, I'm sure I could fly down to, uh, uh, to New Jersey and pick you up along the way. Well, I'm definitely going one way, but I might have to go as deputy grandmaster, which is fine by me. I, I have That's no fine. We'll, 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 we'll connect and travel together to that. <laughs> okay, so um, your current role is <clears throat> the grand historian, right? Now, yeah, for those listeners that do not know what the grand historian is or does maybe enlighten them in, well, the in, fi in five minutes or less yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, the grand historian was created in 1928 by a brother named Devin mcgregor of scotland from dunfermline uh he immigrated here and, and, and eventually became grand historian and he held it until his death he held it for like 14 years uh so i'll be the second longest serving in that position but uh the grand historian or at least focusing on what he did. Uh, he did history. He wrote uh, the, the, the events that went on during the, the current years of the Grand Master that he served as Grand Historian. He kept archival information. Uh, he wrote information down and, and, and history of what actually transpired through that year uh, to keep it uh, part of the proceedings. Uh, but he also delved into ancient New Jersey history that, you know, he, that wasn't known about. Uh, he made a lot of discoveries here in New Jersey, which was incredible here uh, in the States, even, even in the United States as well. Uh, he was a very influential grand historian, one I really look up to. Uh, now, I still do that. However, I also run a lot of the major events for the Grand Master. So uh, they come to me for, for events, and I, I go around and I start looking for events to do, either a cornerstone or a dedication of a building or a gravestone. Uh, I just... Google and search and do a lot of research and come up with great events to do. And then I put it together, orchestrate it and run it for the grand master uh, from, from one end to the other. Well, of course, with the help of the grand secretaries and, and the help of all the other brethren, everybody's tasked with a little uh, assignment. But uh, for instance, we were going to uh, in, in New Jersey uh, 150 years ago, the first African-American uh, after the 15th amendment, allowing men of color to vote, he was the first person to drop a ballot in the United States. And he was from Perth Amboy, New Jersey. And he's not a Mason, uh, but in doing research, uh, I, I came across his grave in, in Perth Amboy, New Jersey, and this beautiful plaque says what he is. And I said, wow, how interesting. This was the first African-American ever to vote in the United States, officially. Uh, and it so happened that this year, this March 28th, was the 150th anniversary. And I had orchestrated this uh, event for a whole year, culminating, uh, getting you know the governor and the senators and the NAACP and and it was going to be sponsored by the Grand Lodge of New Jersey. Uh, but we were going to invite all these groups, Prince Hall, Freemasonry, we were going to honor this great man and this great moment in American history. And the pandemic kind of blew it out of the water. So we're still going to do it, but we're just waiting to things to really kind of level off so we know we can plan five, six months without having to cancel again. But again, those are the type of things that uh, I do as Grand Historian uh, 
here for the Grandmaster in his year. That's very, very cool. Well, there's, there's so many different uh, presentations that you could deliver. We just had some great ones in our district on the Underground Railroad and on the Civil Rights Movement and Freemasonry involvement in both of those. I, I was able to, to meet you as part of your, your presentation on your experience during 9-11. And I think if you would be interested and be open to the idea of joining us on another segment here to talk about that experience of your life, uh, Connor asked in the in the blue room. We were having a conversation. He asked about pins and regalia that are available from New Jersey. And I was going to say that you have your own pin from your uh, presentation, your experience during yes. that during that segment. So that would be a. I have one of those. I'm fortunate to have one of those. I, you had, gave that to me when we were when you were here in Washington. And so I think Connor, that'd be a really neat thing to have for you. But uh, thank you all for joining us on this segment of the Working Tools Podcast. And we'll be back for another segment with Right Word for Brother Moises Gomez. Mm-hmm.